Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in today and being a part of our online service. Uh, we are thankful that you are allowing us into your living rooms and that you are worshiping with us today. Uh, it has been a long few months of social distancing and online church, um, but maybe you caught Michael's allusion earlier. We have some good news this morning. Next Sunday, we will resume church here in our worship center. Uh, we will have services like normal at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Uh, we have been working hard to come up with a plan that is safe and sanitary and that we believe still complies with the social distancing guidelines and we feel confident in our ability to host services in our church building. Uh, so here are a few of the details that you need to know for next Sunday. Uh, at this time, uh, we are only going to be offering our main service. So we won't have any adult classes. We won't have any uh, children's classes or nursery either, just our main service. Um, and like we have been for the past few weeks, uh, we ask that you, you get a ticket to reserve your spot for church. Uh, we are setting our capacity for each service at 100 people. Um, so starting tomorrow, you will be able to get online and, and get your tickets. Um, just like with Drive-In Church, uh, we ask that you reserve one ticket per vehicle per Drive-In Church. But as we move back into the building, we ask that you reserve one ticket per person attending just so that we can have uh, the best count possible for Sunday morning. Uh, later this week, we will uh, give you some more specific details about what you can expect on Sunday morning as you arrive at church, as you come into our building, our seating arrangement, our exit strategy, as well as our in-between service cleaning plan. Um, and as excited as we are to see you all in person, we all need to continue to take the necessary measures to help keep everyone safe and healthy. So if you don't feel comfortable uh, coming on Sunday morning, by all means, stay at home. There's no pressure for you to be here. Uh, you can continue to connect via our online church service, which will go live at 9 a.m. Um, and if you are feeling under the weather, obviously we ask that you stay home and just join us online at 9 o'clock. Uh, we are excited to be back together in person, and we just ask for your flexibility and patience as we continue to adjust together. Uh, a few more announcements. If you are a graduating senior, we want to take time to honor you as a church family. And so we want to do that in two ways. Uh, first, we want to show a slideshow video of all of our graduating seniors. Um, so in order to do that, we need some pictures. And so if you could send some pictures to either Loretta or to me, uh, we need a senior picture, a uh, baby picture, and two in-between pictures. So four pictures total, uh, as well as the student's full name. Uh, then we'll put all those together into a video that we can show on Sunday morning. Um, and the deadline to turn in those pictures is July 1st. So you got a little over a month to get those pictures in. Uh, we also want to invite the graduating seniors and their families to uh, the graduation banquet, which we have postponed until July 26th at 6 p.m. Uh, and as we get more clarity on how we can host this event, we will communicate those details, uh, communicate those details to you. But be sure and save the date, July 26th at 6 p.m. Uh, finally, for all of our middle school and high school students and their families, tomorrow I will be publishing our summer calendar, so be sure to check that out at 9thstreetcc.com students. Uh, we will know one way or the other about CIY, and we will have a, place, uh, a plan in place if CIY does get canceled. Um, and then lastly, before we get started this morning, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a new addition to the Ninth Street family. Uh, Cooper Blake Randall finally made his arrival on Thursday morning, May 14th, and he was a healthy baby boy, nine pounds and 10 ounces. Uh, they got to come home yesterday, and so uh, baby is doing well, mom and dad are doing well, so congrats to, uh, to Blake and Hannah, and congrats to the new grandparents, Steve and Tony. Uh, this morning, as we continue in our Core 52 book, 
and continue in our mini-series, Leave It Better, we come today to the topic of leadership. In the series, we've been focusing on the life of Christ as we see him living out certain behaviors or characteristics in his life that made the world a better place. And I can remember as a kid, my dad always saying to me, be sure and leave it better than when you found it. And so we look to these characteristics and these behaviors in order to model them in our own lives so that we can leave our homes, so that we can leave our jobs, our schools, our, our neighborhoods, and our communities better than when we found it. Now, there's no shortage of literature about what it means to be a good leader, to, to possess leadership. Business books and ministry books and blogs and YouTube videos and TED Talks and biographies of CEOs and coaches and, and presidents who are all considered to be good or even great leaders, even, even books about going from good to great leadership. And while most of what you read about leadership is, is very informative and, and very helpful, the Bible is also another place that is full of wisdom and helpful practices to implement in our lives that help us become better leaders. But like much of God's design for our lives, the Bible flies in stark contrast to what the world around us says is important or valuable or necessary to be successful in our lives. And I would say that there's no difference with leadership. I do find it interesting that much of what secular wisdom has come to find out is most helpful really finds its origin from God's word, whether they realize it or not. But as we'll see this morning, and as our core 52 chapter points out, leadership doesn't come from a position of ruling over someone, but rather from a position of self-denial. I heard a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on her application that asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no and returned the application, expecting the worst. But to her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicants, a study of the application forms reveals that this year, our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. And isn't that true of, of leadership? To become a leader, you first must be a follower. And that especially rings true in our discussion today. We follow the example of the one who was the perfect leader. But before we jump into the Gospels, I want us to take a look at an Old Testament character named Josiah. Maybe you've read about Josiah before. Uh, we find the story of Josiah in two different places in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapters 23 and 24 and 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. Now, we don't have time to read his story this morning. It's, uh, it's a little bit long, but, but later this week, as you're reflecting on today's discussion, uh, maybe take some time to read uh, Josiah's story. But Josiah is one of the kings of the kingdom of Judah. And as you read his story, you see that Josiah was one of the good ones, and, and there weren't very many of those. Josiah was a good leader. But what makes Josiah's story so unique is that he was thrust into leadership at a very young age. At only eight years old, Josiah succeeds his father Ammon as the new king of Judah. Now, maybe you have an eight-year-old in your family. Something fun that you can do this week is to crown them king of your family for the day. Anything they say goes and, and whatever happens, happens. Um, now, be sure and, uh, and get it all on video because everybody else wants to see uh, what chaos ensues if you put an eight-year-old in charge, right? 
The idea of putting a first or second grader in charge of a nation doesn't seem like a sound leadership decision. But there is Josiah nonetheless. Now, hundreds of years before Josiah, the death of King Solomon marked the beginning of a fractured and divided Israel. Ten tribes united to form Israel, while the remaining two broke away to form Judah. Eighty years before Josiah takes the throne, the northern kingdom was no more. It was gone. God brought an end to Israel because of their continued rebellion and idolatrous practices. And Judah wasn't learning from the mistakes of Israel. By the time Josiah is king, he inherits a kingdom where moral anarchy and rampant idolatry are commonplace. Much of that has to do to his predecessors, especially Grandpa Manasseh. Josiah's grandfather ruled over Judah for 55 years, the longest tenure of any of Judah's kings. And he even began his reign at a very young age. He was only 12. But he led such a vile life that it's comparable to the likes of Hitler or Hussein. And scripture tells us that he turned the temple of God into a temple of idolatry, even sacrificing his own son to different satanic gods. And he drenched Jerusalem with the innocent blood of his victims. And so to say that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord is, is quite an understatement. And then Josiah's dad, Ammon, he wasn't much better. He only ruled for two, for two years before he was assassinated. Uh, but the text says that he followed completely the ways of his father. Now, in the movie Space Jam, maybe you've seen it, Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes get themselves into quite a predicament against the Monstars. They're getting pummeled, and at halftime, Michael's trying to boost the morale of the team, and it's just not working, but Bugs has a better idea. Take a look. I think we should quit Yeah, listen, I didn't get dragged down here just to get my butt whipped by a bunch of ugly Monstars. <laughs> I ain't going out like that. We're letting them push us around. We gotta fight them back. We gotta take it to them. We gotta get right in their faces. And what are you saying? Are you with me or not? Yeah, finished? Uh, great speech and all, Doc. Uh, you had them riveted. But uh, didn't you forget something? What? Your secret stuff. <laughs> You guys really needed it. I mean, you're so tough. You're competitive. We're also chicken, so we need it bang. Hey! I'd like some. Yeah, you know, this goes against everything they taught me in health class. You want to win or not? Bottoms up. <laughs> Yummy. All right. How about we go out and kick some alien butt, huh? Let's go. All So in comes little eight-year-old Josiah into a mess of a position, and, and nobody would really fault him if he ends up just like his family. When the preaching of the Old Testament prophets of God's impending judgment continued to fall on deaf ears, what difference could a child make in such dire conditions? 
The answer wasn't Josiah's secret stuff. It wasn't three easy steps to becoming a better leader. It wasn't the next new groundbreaking process of moving up through the ranks till you make it to the top. The secret to Josiah's influence was devotion. Wholehearted devotion to God. Second Chronicles chapter 34 verses 2 and 3 say this. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hands or to the left. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. Josiah was devoted to God, and his devotion made him leave it better than when he found it. Well, what exactly did that look like? Well, Josiah cleaned up the streets of Jerusalem. It had gotten to a point where uh, the idol worship wasn't just happening in the temple, it was happening in, on every street corner. And so he cleans up the streets, removing all the idol worship from anywhere in Jerusalem. And then he renovates the temple and, and he pays his workers the simple task of, of just paying an honest wage to the workers, the wage that was due them. He returned God's word to the temple. The book of the law was removed from the temple by one of the evil kings and thrown into a closet somewhere. And until Hilkiah, the high priest, found it and returned it to the temple, it, it was lost. But once it's returned, Josiah reads it and he rereads it, and, and not just to himself, but to all of the people. And then he called the kingdom of Judah to repentance and commitment. And, and he even reinstitutes the Passover feast, which which hadn't been celebrated for hundreds of years since the days of the prophet Samuel. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 33 says, Josiah did a thorough job of cleaning up the pollution that had spread throughout Israelite territory and got everyone started fresh again, serving and worshiping their God. All through Josiah's life, the people kept to the straight and narrow, obediently following God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah reigned for 31 years before he died in battle. And 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25, summarizes his life in this way. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Now, this is a pretty profound statement. And I would imagine there's a little bit of hyperbole here uh, to say that no king uh, followed God like Josiah. Um, but we can see that the way that G Josiah pursued God was devoted to God, that this makes a lot of sense. And so as we talk about leadership today, I want us to focus on this verse. A familiar verse, no doubt, that comes from the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and five. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And so Josiah's leadership was marked by devotion to God with his heart and with his soul and with his strength. Now, there is a danger in reading these verses through our modern Western mindsets, because we have certain thoughts or ideas associated with these three things that may not align with what the ancient biblical meaning of the word was. So let's look closely at these words this morning. Let's look first at the first one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The Hebrew word for heart is lev. Everyone say lev. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, lev refers to the organ in your chest, which makes sense. 
But there is no word or concept in ancient Hebrew literature for the brain. So therefore, you know and understand with your, with your lev. In Proverbs, wisdom dwells in your heart, and, and your lev is, where, is what you use to discern between truth and error. It's also the place where you feel emotions, like pain in your heart, like Hannah felt when she couldn't have any kids. The phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient Hebrew literature. But then on the flip side, we can experience joy in our hearts, right? When someone is happy in Scripture, it says that they are good of heart, or they have a heart of, of joy. Even more, the heart is where, where we make choices motivated by our desires, which is why Scripture often refers to the desires of the heart. So in ancient biblical Hebrew, the heart was not only the provider of physical life, but it was the center of your intellectual and emotional life as well as the driving force behind the choices that you make. And so to love with all of your heart means to devote your entire will to God as well as your feelings and your desires. So you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, kind of a fun one to say. Everyone say nefesh. Nefesh happens over 700 times, occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. Now, in ancient Greek, the soul referred to a a non-physical, immortal essence that was contained or trapped in the body until death. And that's kind of the idea that we have whenever we think of our soul. But this idea is totally foreign to the Bible writers in the Old Testament. The most accurate accurate translation for nefesh is, is literally throat. Like in Numbers 11, whenever the Israelites are wandering through the deserts and they are thirsty and hungry and they say, we miss cucumbers and melons that we had in Egypt. Now our nefesh has dried up. But it doesn't just mean throat. It can mean the whole person because our whole being is dependent on what goes in and out of our throats. In Genesis chapter 46, there there were 33 nefesh in Jacob's family. That is to say 33 people. In Numbers, a murderer is called a nefesh slayer. In Deuteronomy, a kidnapper is called a nefesh thief. So in the Bible, people don't have a nefesh. They are a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Psalm 119 verse 175 says, Let me live that I may praise you. And it literally reads, Let my nefesh live that it may praise you. And then Psalm 42, 1 through 2 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my nefesh pants for you. My nefesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, you can be thirsty like a deer, but that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your entire being longs to know and be known by God. And so to love God with all of your soul means to devote your entire physical being to God. God gave us these amazing amazing bodies to begin with, and so we offer all of our body with all of its capabilities and all of its limitations, we offer it to him. And so we love with all of our heart and with all of our soul and finally with all of our strength. And the Hebrew word for strength is me'od. Everybody say me'od. Me'od happens 300 times in the Old Testament. Now in most of ancient Hebrew, the word that refers to our physical strength isn't me'od. Instead, me'od literally means very or or much, which is why it occurs so often in Scripture. It is, it is an adverb. So in Genesis 1, God calls his creation me'od good. In Genesis 7, the floodwaters keep rising and they, bec- they become me'od powerful. 
In Genesis 4, when Cain's sacrifice gets less praise from God, he becomes me'od, angry. And oftentimes, to increase its meaning or intensity, biblical authors would say, say it twice, me'od, me'od. And so if we are to love God with our me'od, it doesn't refer to our particular thing, but rather it refers to the intensity with which we are to use everything that we have to love God. Every moment in our life, every opportunity in our life is a, is a chance for us to love God with our, with our muchness. Josiah was a great leader because he loved God with all of his heart. That is to say, his, his desires and his affections. And all of, all of his soul, his, his entire being, with all of his strength, his, his muchness. And so with these word studies guiding us, we can say this about leadership. Three things. Godly leadership forms in our heart. Godly leadership is found in our wholeness. And godly leadership flows from our hands. Heart, soul, and strength. Godly leadership forms in our hearts, is found in our wholeness, and flows through our hands. So then the question becomes... How do we become godly leaders? Well, like we mentioned earlier, we play a game of follow the leader. We follow. We follow the the perfect leader. We look to the example of Jesus. Godly leadership forms in, in our hearts. Our desires and our affections are the source of how we will lead. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Psalm 37.30-31 says, The mouths of righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. And then whenever Samuel went to the house of Jesse in search of a new king, God said, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Godly leadership is found in our wholeness. The posture we take as leaders tells a lot about the type of leader that we want to be. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then it continues in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk. And then in verse 21, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our posture is important. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. We've referenced this passage a few times in the past few weeks. But listen for the phrases of of position or or posture. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If your relationship with one another... In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And finally, godly leadership flows from our hands, flows through our hands. Mark Moore concludes the leadership chapter in our Core 52 book by saying this, If Jesus washed feet, then there's no task below any of us. Servant leadership historically begins with Jesus. Any of us who dare call ourselves leaders better be proficient with a basin and a towel. Our memory verse for the week is Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And again, we've looked at John 13 over the past few weeks. John 13, 14 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. As we come to a close this morning, I'd like to leave you with a practical step to take, as well as some reflective questions to ask. So first, the practical step, right from our book, Core 52, it says this, Go out of your way this week to serve someone in a way that person could never expect or demand. I tend to think that the people we spend the most time with are the ones we become less intentional about showing God's love to. We, we see them every day. It's easier for us to get frustrated or, or annoyed with them. And, and so maybe you don't need to go very far to take this step. Here are the questions for you to think through. How is your heart? How is your, your wholeness? How are your hands? Can you lead with that heart? Are you leading from the right posture? Are you ready with a towel and basin. May we follow the example of Josiah and more importantly, Jesus, as we seek to be godly leaders. Now this morning, before I pray, uh, we have one last announcement from Chris. So go ahead and take a look at this video. Good morning, Ninth Street. Um, I come to you this morning because I need to update you on something that is going on that affects me and affects you, affects all of us together. Uh, we are coming up on a year now since uh, the uh, tornado uh, went through Eldon and all of those crazy events. Um, it seems like it's been a decade now since everything has happened since then. But uh, uh, from that time on, I have uh, kind of been struggling with some issues in um, my mental health. And uh, I, I play my cards pretty close to the vest. I don't divulge much of what I think or what's going on. Um, to a lot of people, and uh, and so uh, partly I haven't said much because I couldn't understand it. I couldn't explain it and describe it, and so I just felt like uh, didn't seem like a big deal. Um, and I figured I'd just work my way through it. That's what I've done in the past. And uh, but the last few months uh, have been hard. They have shown me that I need to deal with them. And so um, I verbalized some of these thoughts a few weeks ago to our leaders. Um, and uh, those men have always loved me, cared for me, have always sought to uh, bring good into my life. And so uh, I asked them for a couple of weeks off to step away completely and just think, unplug and, and regroup and, and think and, and just try to um, work on a couple of things. And so they agreed wholeheartedly to that, um, but then came back a few days later and suggested, offered, encouraged me to take a sabbatical of a few months. And so... Um, this certainly affects us because it um, is a longer period of time than I've certainly ever been away. 
uh, from any ministry I've done. And so uh, it will be different. Um, I get that. And so, uh, but I'm grateful for their care for me. Um, they uh, they want good in my life, and uh, and likewise I want for all of us. And so I have started this process this week um, by seeking God's help, by learning, uh, reading, um, talking. T- to some wise people and making a list and some folks I'm going to visit with and evaluate um, some things in my life. And so um, I've never really been good at taking time to uh, to care as well for my heart, my mind, my soul as I should be. Um, I don't do well at unplugging and practicing those healthy rhythms in my life. And um, and that's kind of caught up a little bit with me here. And so um, I would just humbly ask for you to pray for me. Um, you may or may not understand this. I, I get that. Um, um, I don't even like having this conversation, um, but I, I need to do this um, uh, for my future. Um, and uh, so I'm good to go for the the next uh, many miles ahead of me. And so uh, I just want you to know I love you all, care for you all. I have been blessed so many times and ways by the friendships that you have shown to me. And I hope... Um, uh, the future brings more of those opportunities, and so uh, I just want to let you know that in case uh, you notice uh, things look different for the next uh, several weeks, and um, that's what's going on. So uh, thanks, and uh, I will uh, I will see you soon enough. Good morning. I don't know about you, um, but I appreciate Chris and his his leadership, and and I think that that he exemplifies. Um, the, the position and posture of humility whenever it comes to his leadership. I, I think that he exemplifies uh, servant leadership. And so I am thankful for the way that, that Chris leads me, leads our staff, leads, leads this church. But I'm also thankful that, that Chris is, um, is thinking through some of these things that we've talked about this morning. And, and he feels like he needs to, to work on some things to, to be right, to, to be more effective. And, and, and that's, what, that's what being a good leader is. It's, it's evaluating your heart and your soul and, and your strength, always critiquing those things, always looking at those things so that, we can, so that we can be godly leaders to the best of our abilities. And so this morning, as we pray, we are going to pray for Chris and pray for him as he goes through uh, the sabbatical and... Um, then after that, we will be dismissed. But let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for who you are, thankful for the way that you love us, thankful for your son, Jesus, thankful for the life that he lived, the death that he died, the resurrection that he rose, and the ascension where he is now on heaven, in heaven on his throne, seated next to you. God, I pray for for Chris over these next few months. I pray that that his heart would be refreshed and that his his soul would be restored and and that his hands would be ready so that in in five years, in ten years, he can look back at this this time and and just see you working in his life, preparing him to, to be a more effective leader. I pray for his family as they um, come alongside him in this. I pray for our elders as they uh, come alongside him in this as well. I pray for our church as we go through this transition a little bit throughout the summer. And pray for our staff as we uh, kind of fill in some of the positions for for Chris. Uh, But most of all, God, uh, work through him and and just pray for for his heart and uh, his refreshment during this time. 
God, as we seek to, to be leaders in, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, I pray that we would model the life of Christ. And that we would understand that godly leadership is all about how much we love you with our hearts and our soul and our strength. We do love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for tuning in today and being a part of our church service. Um, we will see you next Sunday, either at 9 or 10, or again online on our uh, church streaming service. And so thank you for being here. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. Have a blessed day.